feel like it's only right for me to introduce myself. My name is Scott Harrison, one of the pastors here at Grace Baptist Church in Millersville. I believe it's been three weeks or so since I've actually been at church. So um, for those that may not recognize me or think that the beard got a little longer, it, it may have. Um, Joel returns back from his vacation. I believe he comes back on Tuesday. And then I think we're all back together again. So uh, we're looking forward to that. But um, earlier this year when, when Joel sat and talked to me a little bit about what the summer schedule would look like, um, we decided that I'd, I'd preach four times. We'd, I'd preach two times here in, in June and July and then a couple more times in August. And trying to figure out what to preach through and, and knowing that they'd be disjointed, that there'd be other sermons or other series in between, um, I decided to take a look at First Timothy. So this Sunday and next Sunday, and then two Sundays in August, we're going to take a very wide look, a very broad view of a couple passages in First Timothy. Paul wrote this, this letter to Timothy, actually wrote it around AD 62, 64, and, and he did it to encourage Timothy. It's a, it's a letter of encouragement that he wrote to Timothy about his responsibilities in overseeing his work at the church of Ephesus. And not just the church of Ephesus, but even possibly other churches in and around Asia. Now, Timothy was a young pastor. And he had, he had been a great help to Paul in, in his work. And, and Paul was more than just a mentor or a leader to Timothy. He was like a father to him. And, and Timothy was very much like a son to Paul. And, and Paul begins this letter, First uh, uh, Timothy, he begins this letter urging Timothy to be on guard for false teachers and, and false doctrine that was running rampant at that time. And, and this letter not only deals with these false teachers, but it also deals with, with pastoral conduct. Now, now Paul in, instructs Timothy in worship, ha, how to develop and, and mature leaders of the church. But along with this focus, we also see warnings that... that speak to the church's responsibility about single members and widows and elders and slaves. There is so much here in this short letter. First Timothy is, is a leadership manual for church organization and administration. But we see throughout we see throughout this entire letter that Paul encourages Timothy to stand firm, to persevere, and to remain true to his calling. So I want to begin this first week in this broad view of 1 Timothy. We're going to look actually at 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 18 through 20. If you have a Bible in front of you, or if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you, that's fine. I'm going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwrecked of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This may seem like an odd place to just start this broad overview but as we unpack it today, I think it's a good place to lay a foundation to kind of find our center point as we begin to, to go through other sections of this letter. 
I'd like for us this morning to think about navigating through shipwrecks. And before we begin to unpack the text this morning, I want to just walk us through a very famous shipwreck. So on April 10th, 1912, the Titanic, the Titanic left the harbor in England. And it made its maiden voyage to this 882-foot ship that was described as unsinkable, carried 2,228 passengers and crew. Most of the, the passengers had paid thousands of dollars to sail in this great luxury liner, except for Leonardo DiCaprio. He won his in a poker game. But just... Four days, four days into the voyage, four days, April 14, 1912, severe ice warnings were received throughout the area in which the Titanic was sailing. These warnings were ignored, and the Titanic maintained its course to the New York Harbor. So at 11.40 in the p.m., the Titanic struck an iceberg on the starboard side and began to take on water at an alarming rate. And within three hours, the Titanic and 1,523 passengers and crew were at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Only 705 of the original 2,228 passengers survived the shipwreck. Now make no mistake, it was the collision with the iceberg that caused the unsinkable ship to end up at the bottom of the ocean. But there were a lot of other circumstances that led to the collision. How quickly it sank the number of lives that were lost, all these were added to. The ship was traveling too fast. Some feel that the captain was was trying to beat the time that was set by another ship called the Olympic. But others have mentioned that the speed was caused because they were trying to deal with a fire in the one coal bunker. Needless to say, she was running at full steam. There was also a a wireless radio operator who dismissed the warnings of the icebergs. The radio operator considered the warning to be non-urgent and didn't pass it along. Now, it's mentioned that the operator was busy sending personal passenger messages, and because he was so busy, he was quick to dismiss the warning. Hindsight. Now, it's thought that the, the ship's crew panicked uh, of hearing the, turn, hearing the order to turn hard to starboard to avoid the approaching iceberg the operator turned the wheel the wrong way. Others say that the builders tried to save money. The rivets that were brought up from the wreck were found to contain a high concentration of slag, a smelting residue that can cause a a metal to split apart. When When there are three million rivets that held the ship's hulls together and they're already made weak, the collision with the iceberg just caused it to break apart on impact. The lookouts had no binoculars. The second officer who held the key to the Titanic store of binoculars in his pocket was transferred off the ship before it left the voyage and and forgot to hand the key over to the person who replaced him. It's said that a, a lookout with binoculars would have been able to not only spot the iceberg, but help them dodge it. That second officer who held on to the key kept it as a memento, and it was auctioned off actually in 2007 for 90,000 pounds. And there was also an issue with weather. 
the lack of the correct number of lifeboats. And these only compounded everything. The Titanic is, is just one of the ma- many famous shipwrecks. And like all shipwrecks, we look at the tragedy and, and the fact that it should never have happened. The facts behind these tragedies make for fascinating study. But this morning we're going to look more at shipwrecks that happen on dry ground. Shipwrecks of faith is what Paul writes. In fact, he he even records the names of of two men in the early church who experienced such a shipwreck. Hymaeus and Alexander. Most of us in this room will never be involved in a shipwreck at sea. However, the possibility exists that we might suffer a shipwreck in our own spiritual lives. And brothers and sisters, it can be just as costly and just as devastating. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18-20 through 20 speaks into shipwrecks and how we can navigate through and around them. Just the mention of the phrase spiritual shipwreck and perhaps your mind focuses on someone's name. Maybe you find yourself thinking about your own shipwreck. I do want to make sure that we look at this with a sense of reality. This is not a fictional story that's placed in these pages of Scripture to scare us. Paul calls out two men, two real men who were shipwrecked. We don't know a whole lot about these two men, but we do know they became a problem for Paul and for the early church. If we look actually at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17, we can, say, we can see Hymenaeus mentioned in relation to, to teaching of false doctrine. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, we see Alexander mentioned concerning the harm that he had done to Paul. I truly have no doubt that that everyone here this morning could think of one person or a person who has walked away from the Lord, someone who is willing to throw away relationships, a person set on their own destruction and not willing to navigate around the oncoming collision. Now let us not think for one moment, for one minute, that it can only happen to the other guy. They can and they will happen to you and to me. No one in this room this morning is immune to the possibility that we will fall into or run after sin and create our own shipwreck. One of the verses that I have in front of me on my desk is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he can stand take heed lest he fall. Oh, you think you're good? You think it can't happen to you? Think again. What about Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We love that, right? Pride comes before a fall. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. Hymenaeus appeared to have been enticed by the embrace of false doctrine. For Alexander, it seems he had developed a mean spirit and began working against the work of Paul. Both wound up where they were because they pushed away truth and turned over to error. Now, I'm not sure how many of us wake up and and say, you know what, today, oh, today's the day. Today's the day I I collide with that iceberg. Today I'm going to throw away my testimony and my influence. Today's the day I shipwreck it all. 
the unsinkable Titanic left the port in England assuming that it was going to dock again in New York. But how many, how many different circumstances happened that led to that collision itself? How many perhaps small individual things led to such a great tragedy? The move from truth to error is not made in an instant. It is subtle, it is quiet, it is slow, but soon enough, it happens. We fall away. We fall away when we allow sin to go unchallenged in our lives. We fall away when we seek to rationalize our sinfulness or even our backslidden condition. We begin to allow ourselves these loopholes here and there. We, we diminish what we're doing. We find ourselves, before we realize it, great distance between truth and find ourselves in error and in sin. I love to walk alongside of the, the creek that runs beside our house. Over the years, as a, as a small kid, I walked along that creek, and, and as I get older, I recognize that, that the landscape has, has changed over the years. Now, this is an illustration that I've used multiple times, and I think it fits really well this morning, but along the bank of the creek are trees. And there's some very large trees. And those trees have very large roots. But over the years, as the bank of the creek erodes, the ground around the tree begins to wash away. Slowly. Days. Months. Years. Many years. At 46, those trees were just as big to me as a kid as they are now. They've been there a long time. But eventually the roots are exposed and there's no longer any ground around the root left. There's nothing for it to hold on to. And with a strong current from a flood or a strong wind from a storm, the tree comes down. It's something that we realize or we see many times. It happens slowly, and, and sometimes you only realize the damage once the tree has fallen. Backsliding works the same way. It's slow, a little by a little, and often the damage has come before we recognize what has happened. But it's not just slow eroding or backsliding that we need to navigate through or we need to be aware of. We need to understand that shipwrecks also come from, from drifting or being overloaded. A ship that is carrying too much weight, too much cargo, cannot perform correctly. It cannot steer correctly. It cannot stay afloat correctly. It is not going to respond the way it needs to. A ship that is damaged is just drifting. And if a ship is just drifting it will eventually find its way into a collision. Now this is, this is such a great moment. This is such a great moment for you to take some inventory of where you find yourself. What are you tolerating in your life that you just need to let go? What are you okay with? What are you embracing? What are you allowing in your life that, that is making you overloaded? What are the things that you've stopped doing that, that are, you're just now drifting? 
I have no doubt that there are brothers and sisters in this room this morning who are heading for a spiritual shipwreck. If some of these things are not dealt with immediately, some of you need to let go of some cargo. Some of you are carrying things that you shouldn't be carrying. You're grabbing and pulling more things on. Some of you are just broken and drifting and in trouble. But at some point, we need to be honest and we need to recognize where we are. Heed the warning. Pay attention to your situation. And don't think you're above it happening to you. We see here in verse 20 that there are consequences. There are consequences when we refuse to navigate around shipwrecks. When we allow ourselves to drift. When we allow ourselves to erode. Paul writes, whom I have handed over to Satan. These are words you do not want to hear. These are words, this is a phrase you do not want someone to share with you. This was and is the most extreme punishment available for a church. This is still happening. There are still people that are being handed over to Satan because of the consequences to their sin consequences to the decisions that they're making, consequences to the drifting that they find themselves in, consequences to the eroding that they've allowed. This excommunication, this discipline, this delivering them over to the hand of Satan is to teach humility. It's to teach obedience to God's Word. And it's to teach the love for God. And to ultimately bring them back to Christ and to the church. It seems harsh. It seems mean. Right? We're Christians. We're supposed to love everyone. Paul speaks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 3-5. through 5. Paul writes, For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present... And with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It isn't just a punish. It isn't just a slap on the wrist. The desire for this, the the reaping of these consequences, is so that they may come back to the Lord. They can be back in the fellowship with other believers. We have to understand that, that our sins are not in a vacuum. No one's sins are in a vacuum. And although we like to think that our sins are private and and secret, we have consequences. Consequences that we have to reap and we have to sow. Galatians chapter 6, 8 and 9, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Paul is handing these men over to Satan. In this letter to Timothy, he's he's telling Timothy, this is what should happen. Brothers and sisters, next week we have a congregational meeting where we are doing this very same thing. You need to be aware of the shipwrecks that are waiting for us. You need to be aware of the drifting. You need to be aware of the eroding. Even in the moments of our sin and our pride and our arrogance, 
we still like to think it won't happen to us. They called the Titanic unsinkable until it sunk. It's too easy for us. We're really good at hiding our sin. We're too comfortable with the slow erosion. We all do it. We, we speak about the things we're okay watching, the things we're okay saying, the things we're okay hearing. We're, we're okay with the slow erosion. Heeding a warning that someone has given to you, heeding a warning that someone has, has, has given you who has gone before you, is there to help you navigate around those shipwrecks. Not only do you have brothers and sisters who have walked before you, but we have the Word of God who is explaining to us what we should be aware of, what we should be looking for. The Titanic had such warnings. Right? It's just a small sin. I mean, everybody's doing it too. Everyone enjoys it. Everyone's laughing at it. A small key, a tiny key that would unlock a locker that held binoculars could have saved the Titanic. And thousands of lives. What will be your motivation to write your course? To navigate your life differently? Will it take a disaster? Will it take a shipwreck for you to stop? Because it, it, it doesn't have to. You don't have to have the collision to recognize you're going the wrong direction. Let's go back to 1 Timothy and let's look at verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. And we can see some helpful things that Paul's giving Timothy that we can use to navigate through some of these shipwrecks. Actually, I have four things out of this. Paul begins this all by telling Timothy, by giving Timothy a charge. This charge I entrust you. This is a superior issuing commands to a subordinate. Paul is telling Timothy that he has the responsibility to obey his words. A charge that I am entrusting to you. It's not just a duty to hear the words, but to carry out the commands, the orders that Paul has given. Anyone who professes to be a believer should be seeking to begin here. We have been given the Word of God, not just for us to hear, but to act on and to carry out. Our obedience demonstrates our love for God. Our obedience proves that we're saved by grace. John chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And how can we not look at James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, But be doers of the Word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For if he looks at himself and goes away, he at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he is blessed in his doing. We are navigating through following the commands. Navigating through following the commands. But Paul doesn't stop there. He talks about wage the good warfare. Timothy is being reminded that there is a battle. Make no mistakes, brothers and sisters, that we are in that same battle. 
From the moment that we come into faith in Jesus, we find ourselves in the middle of spiritual conflict. Our enemies, the world, the culture we live in, the flesh, the devil, they are all trying to lead us into a collision. Leading us into our own iceberg. We have to navigate around. We are in a war, a battle that we've been called to fight in. We have not been enlisted just to stand and watch or hide and cower. We have been called to wage good warfare. This is a battle that we can win. The nature of the battle is spiritual. We, we read already in Ephesians chapter 6, 12 and 13, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. We navigate not just by following the commands, but we navigate through waging war. Paul encourages Timothy not just to wage war, but to hold to his faith and a good conscience. What we're talking about here is to to own or to possess. Paul writes, This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Holding. There's ownership involved in this. Paul is telling Timothy to stand in and for the truth. Defend the faith at all costs. Keep the doctrine of the church free from error and to keep it pure. Our command is the same as well. We have to have a strong grip on the Word of God and fight against false teaching that we see and that we hear. Because, brothers and sisters, it is all around us. We should not be surprised to hear that churches and congregations are moving away from doctrine and toward their own personal experience. How a person feels about Scripture carries more weight than what Scripture actually says itself. But it's also more than just holding on to faith. It has to do with holding on to a good conscience. Now I direct you to a sermon series that Pastor Joel is currently doing on conscience. Especially when he speaks about holding on to a good conscience, right or wrong, obedience and sin, they're all shaped by our conscience. Whether we find ourselves with a tender or seared conscience, we have been given one by God, the creator of all things, and we're called to listen to it. We're not only navigating through following commands and navigating through waging war, but we're navigating by a conscience that's shaped by faith. And then lastly, we need to look at at verses 12 through 17. That small section right above our verses this morning. This is what Paul writes in verses 12 through 17. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Through formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy 
and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Read that every day. Remind yourself of that every day. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who are to hear and believe in Him for eternal life. Remind yourself of those truths daily. We have been given eternal life through the death of Jesus Christ. God in His mercy provided a perfect sacrifice for us. As sinners in need of a Savior, God gave us His Son. We are undeserving. We can echo the words of Paul when he says that he was the foremost sinner. I don't know about you, but I am a terrible person. I do not deserve this. And yet here I stand, only by the grace and the mercy of Christ Jesus, my Savior. It's hard to ignore the erosion in your life when you are speaking the gospel. The more you remind yourselves of these words, the more that you speak these words to others, the more you'll be aware of the ground that is falling away at your feet. It's hard to embrace sin and darkness when you're holding on to the light of truth. Can't hold both. We are quick. We are quick as believers to gloss over the gospel. I got it. I used it. I'm good. We're moving on. No. Sit in that. Hold on to that. Cling to that. Embrace in that. Use that as your compass. We need to to navigate through the gospel. If you want to know where the icebergs are, remind yourself of the gospel. In 1912, the world was shocked and amazed at the Titanic. She was the most spectacular boat afloat. People believed that, that she had the potential to return years of service to the passengers and crew, bringing large returns of investment to their owners. Yet because of errors some that were small and others that were large, the Titanic became a shipwreck and found its resting place at the bottom of the sea with so many of her passengers. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Will this be said of you in your life? Will it bring a sense of joy and hope to those who one day reflect upon it? Or will your life stand as a memorial to those adrift off course? Those who ignore the warning. Those who find themselves face to face with their iceberg. If you are unprepared to navigate through these potential shipwrecks, then you will find yourself reeling from the consequences. 
But if you are prepared and navigating through following the command, through waging war, by a conscience that's shaped by faith and through the gospel, then regardless of what is to come, regardless of the tragedies, regardless of the temptation, you will safely navigate the potential shipwrecks that are to come. Next week we will continue working through 1 Timothy and we're going to look at our life and the doctrine that we hold on to. So we will continue to build on this foundation. But brothers and sisters, I, I encourage you, I plead with you, sit in these verses this week. Sit in, in verses 12 through 17. Spend time looking at verses 18 through 20. And, and think through and, and honestly look at our directions and what consequences await for us and remind ourselves of the gospel. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are indeed thankful for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and worship you as the body. I thank you for the ability that we have to sit shoulder to shoulders against with other believers that we can proclaim your words loudly without fear. Father, you have brought us together as a, as a community, as a family. Uh, Father, would we look to encourage each other um, in that? Would we look to hold each other accountable where needed? Um, that we would be able to speak into each other and we would be open and receptive to those truths. Father, we would be willing to heed warnings that, that are given to us. Father, we, we recognize a, a, there are so many things, so many things waiting to trap us and ensnare us and often we find ourselves running to them. Father, place in our hearts a, a sense of conviction and a sense of right and wrong that that we would push back in those moments that we would run back and remind ourselves of the very truth of the gospel that our testimony would grow our impact for you would grow father that we'd be able to walk along others who are heading for their own shipwrecks and be able to pull them back safely Father, I pray for our congregation as we, as we look to, to have these hard conversations, as we look to, to speak into lives. Father, as we even look to, Father, hand out discipline. Would we do so not from our own agendas, but we would do so through your word and a desire to bring others back to you, back to our congregation, back to a faith in you. Father, we know this is only possible because of your son, the one who was the perfect sacrifice, who came uh, to save sinners like us. Father, we pray all this in His name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.